Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. I'm super excited to introduce Devin Bergman, uh, the founder, uh, co-founder and CEO of Social Standards, a consumer analytics platform. And we're going to be talking about the future of consumer analytics. Devin, welcome to Future of XYZ. Oh, thanks for having me, Lisa. I'm super excited about this. Um, well, I am too, because I think consumer analytics, um, for anyone who's not a, a brand person, a business data geek, you know, maybe they don't know what consumer analytics are, um, but they drive so much of company behavior, corporate behavior in this day and age. Um, can we just start with like a grounding and like what are consumer analytics? Yeah. I mean, consumer analytics, I mean, there's so many different facets, but Really, it's about understanding what the consumer's doing, what they're purchasing has been the typical, historical, traditional way of analyzing the consumer. But really, the goal is to understand kind of what drives them, what motivates them, why are they consuming, how are they consuming a product, so at the moment of consumption, ideally, and then what are they looking for? What, what's next in their trajectory of, 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 of consumption? And, and how can we, as, as companies, better forecast and predict what that behavior is going to be so we can give the consumer in the end what they want and then both sides ideally win that's an interesting way of looking at it it's like uh, it's 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 kind of meeting in the middle right it's like what can yeah. they what can the company provide the consumer that they didn't know that they wanted or that maybe they do know but they didn't have a conversation to have exactly exactly so what are some of, I mean, to that meeting in the middle thing, I mean, obviously there are lots of things that you just talked about, both on the consumer side, as well as on the company side, but let's just talk about like who, who really benefits, if you will, from consumer analytics when they're done correctly. Well, that's the big thing when they're done correctly. Um, you know, it's, you know, I think the, 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 you know, traditionally, as I mentioned, it's been very much sales driven. So people you know, you have companies like Nielsen and IRI, you know, NPD capturing what's happening at that moment of purchase. Mm -hmm. So they'll have receipt data that they get from the stores. It's anonymized. They don't actually get the full receipts. They just get their ledger of kind of what's being sold. And they, they kind of, they, 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 they forecast the, the holistic vision picture of it, and then can allow people to understand what their market share is. Yeah. But to go deeper into so that doesn't tell you the why or the what or the how. They just get, it gives you when. It tells right? you what, when, when, what, and how yeah. much. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And for how much. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so it's great to see what's on, you know, how how prices are changing, how, you know, overall, how you're, how you stack up against the market from a market share of purchase. Mm -hmm. So to get further into the how and the what, companies have to understand kind of what's driving and who the consumer is, right? So more of that who. And to answer your question, who's really benefiting from everything traditional is really the companies themselves, yeah. right? It's not the consumer as much. And I'm going I'm to touch on that in a second. But traditionally, when you have, you know, you have these panels that are set up, a couple hundred thousand households, and they scan gun or they'll, you know, use email tracking for the receipts. And, and it's then, an opt-in in the panel data for oh, Nielsen, for IRI, Ipsos, et cetera. These are Kantar. They, these are big companies that provide this. 
the the the, the consumer families, usually the woman, yeah. right, who does the shopping, gets paid a certain stipend to do this on a regular basis and participate in this panel. Exactly, exactly. And so what that does is it gives, you know, enough ideally enough sample of households of different demographics of African-American, white, Caucasian, Hispanics, 25 to 29, like all the different- Rural, urban. Exactly, exactly. And then allows you to slice and dice. People that bought this also bought that. So basket analysis. Again, who's benefiting from that is really more the the, the, the brands themselves as they're trying to understand what's happening and slice it. But, you know, as, we, as we're going to talk later, like the, the, the really the future of this is how can you get, and it's also, it's a very, it's a very slim, slim sector of the market. When you slice the market, when you think of a couple hundred thousand households, that's nothing no. compared to millions of people, hundreds of millions of people in the world. Like, right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's so interesting because, I mean, I think some of the decisions that you've just talked about, right? So when you're analyzing a basket or a comparable product, right? So people who buy, let's just say like, uh, Heinz ketchup also are buying Oscar Mayer hot dogs, right? Like that's like yeah. a, a basket analysis, right? For instance, right. like complementary products. So then you can say, well, can we build partnerships with this? Can we do cross promotions? Like, you know, can we do bundling or whatever? These are some of the decisions that a company gets to make. What are some of the other decisions, however, that consumer analytics, again, not just the sales panel data, but consumer analytics writ large, like that, that, co- that companies make based on analytics? Yeah, I mean, really, what the the big the you know, there's two you know, the holy grail is how do we manage our um, supply chain and how do we make or make or not make as much product as we absolutely need, right? That's the absolutely goal of, of goal of, of kind of like how do we predict so we don't have excess and we don't we're, we're not out of stock when we need it, right? And and then secondly, it's how do we predict the trends? I mean, prediction, prediction, prediction. At the end of the day, nobody has a crystal ball, right? right. We're not we're not like wizards and witches with you know understanding what's going to happen. It's all about forecasting, right? We're using we're using data to historic start data to forecast exactly. the future, exactly, or even today's data, right? Yes. And we'll talk about that in a second. But you know, it's it's really understanding what's happening to start trend detecting or fad detecting, mm-hmm. right? To to figure out what do, what does the consumer want, where are they going, and ideally why. Yeah. And like I said, sales data can take you only so far with that, but there are a lot of other secondary data sources you know, such as myself, not to, you know, do a little soft plug, but it's really understanding that consumer in the moment of consumption in an authentic, non-biased way that can allow us to understand why are they doing what they're doing and how do we start taking that and giving them products that more fit what, what, where their lifestyle or what their decision, where they're going with the, with the consumption choices they're making. Well, I think this is super interesting. And I and I, I do want to get into some of those like ways that we get this besides panel data, besides the sales receipt data. Um, but I, I think the the why behind the what is is yeah. really interesting because this is ultimately the fu- I think the future of consumer analytics. 100% agree. Right. Which is I, I will we'll we'll spend some time, you know, closer to the end really digging into that. But I yeah. think the why behind the what of consumer purchasing intent loyalty consideration like the the marketing funnel that you know as marketers we're always thinking about it is is the objective here so you know if you could just like in your base on your own experience running social standards and another company that preceded it for quite a while now what do you think are the major factors um that like drive people to a brand or a product and or promote consideration loyalty that you've seen that comes out of this data yeah 
you know, authenticity is really important. I think to consumers now it's, you know, really on brands being authentic about who they are and what they are and what they, what they, what they stand for. Consumers see through, see, see through the BS a lot more now than ever before. And they're fickle, right? I mean, let's look at beauty, every celebrity, you know, and their mom, like literally some of the Kardashians that like jokes, jokes, like everyone has a beauty brand. It's so easy for people, not even just celebrities. I mean, how many influencers are we seeing come to market, you know, that have a couple hundred thousand followers, which is no easy task, but they get to that point. They're still not a Kardashian. They're not in the millions, hundreds of millions, hundred thousand. And they can bring up, they can bring a product to launch and test it and see if they can grow a following. And there's so many ways of people now, we can argue whether how much influencers are authentic or not. But there is authenticity. Uh, I, I would definitely have that conversation another time. <laughs> right, right, right. But there is an authenticity, right? In some of these, right? But the point is, you can find a following, someone you like, someone you care about, that you believe you agree on the same values, and try a product from them. So it's so much easier to get to market. So the big brands really have to figure that out, mm. right? Or, or it's not like, um, you know, a two cereal brands, big brands, you know, co- co- competing like Kellogg and General Mills on the on the you know fighting each other traditionally. Right. Now you have ketogenic cereals that are coming out on Facebook and Instagram that you have to compete with. And D to C, a direct to consumer shipments, right? Totally. So like brands more than ever need to understand what is driving consumer and connect with them in a way that they, you know, before they would able to push, push the message, push what, you know, and now it's, you have to pull. You yeah. have to really bring in that consumer in a different way than you ever had before. So funny. I talk about push and pull quite a lot. I think that's exactly the big difference. So let's talk about the data sources because big data is a conversation that goes around a lot. And and then consumer data privacy, these are two very, um, I would say almost polar opposites, even though they shouldn't be. Um, But there is this push-pull. I mean, we've talked about some of, you know, kind of the the data sources, the Nielsen, and you guys have a partnership with Nielsen um, at Social Standard, but you have, you know, we have Nielsen, we have IR, we have Ipsos, we have all the big guys, right? But where else is data coming from? I mean, historically, we've done like, let's say, focus groups and and surveys and things that take a lot of time and money and a a qualitative understanding. Where else are you guys getting data and other companies? Yeah. So for us, I mean, what we really, we we analyze more of that moment of consumption, true, authentic, public data sources of the consumer. So for us, it's social. But I want to be very clear, it's public social. We're not- It's social listening- Ish. Yeah. I hate to say this social listening just because it has a very, that's create that there's a con, there's a, a use case that's been built around that. That's more on the, uh, the, the, the tactical side of like truly listening one-to-one and crisis management where we're, what we're doing is much more holistic public data of the entire market vertical and structuring and organizing it kind of like a UPC code. So you can think mm-hmm. of us as like the UPC code of UPC code is the barcode on a yes, product. Yes. Yeah. Like the SKU barcode. And think of us as like, how do we take every word that everyone says and map it to what it means and what it belongs in context? It's no easy feat. But by doing that, now we have this analytical layer. So to answer your question, we're looking at public sources like Instagram, only public posts. We look at uh, Twitter. We now look at TikTok, which is really cool. We're really excited about that one. Um, Reddit is another great source, believe it or not. Like even for things like beauty, you, yeah. you, you just couldn't believe like, how much depth people go into in public forums, right? Yeah. yeah, it's the depth of qualitative. And what makes this you know, so much more actionable than maybe focus groups and surveys, and I'm not saying they don't have their place, 
but not only are they expensive and and you know they're costly, they're time consuming. You can't go back and do follow up questions with the same cohort often, and if you could, it's just so much more expensive in time. But it also has this inherent bias, and I don't mean that in this malicious like you know we're out to get you kind of way, but it's you know people don't always speak. And I don't mean, again, don't mean this in a negative way, honestly and truthful to what they're actually doing. People talk about the environment. I like the environment. Whether they're aware of it or not too. I mean, I've sat in on two, I run too many focus groups to know that, right? I mean, that's, that's true. There, there is, there is just this kind of like you start rolling mentality. Yes. And people can influence others. And it's just, you know, they'll lead the, are you leading with the wrong question? Are you leading the, the witness? So understand the consumer in that moment of consumption, when they're really just sharing their lives openly and being able to harness that. What that does is it really, back to the earlier point in the conversation, it creates the two-way street. And this is what's so cool to me because, you know, I'm not just in the, you know, yeah, I'm in a business of building a business and making money and, right, selling, you know, our, our product. But it's, I do truly believe that we're doing something really good in the sense that allowing the general population that's not part of that panel, you know, back to that no. 100,000 households, to just live their lives, share their lives, but actually have that be input into the big machine of what's happening in coming their way from the push of the of the brands. And if you can create that two-way street, just knowing I'm going to live my life and share what I'm doing, but if I'm changing into a more of a ketogenic lifestyle and just sharing my life, that data, I can just trust it's going to make its way to the people that matter to make products that make give me more of what I want. And, and yeah. that's what we see. And that's, what we, that, that's what's really cool about this, this approach to consumer analytics. Well, so it's interesting because you talk about like, you know, fad versus trends and, yeah. and it's hard if you're listening to real time data yes. to know and to discern the difference, yes. right? Especially in an influencer, anti-authentic world that we live in. I'm, I, I'm, I've been talking, you know, authenticity for 25 years and I'm totally <laughs> like, don't find that most brands are particularly authentic or consumers at this moment in time. However, and I don't know if they know the difference. However, the more interesting thing to me is exactly what you just said. So if I'm following a ketogenic diet, you know, and I want more of that, is that going to be where I'm at in six months or have, you know, brands jumped on the bandwagon all of a sudden, again, managing supply chain, you have a bunch of product that actually is, was fad, not trend. Yes. Or you have product that fits the lifestyle already. It's just not communicated that way. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's where it gets super interesting because Everything doesn't have to run back to the drawing board. Right. One of my favorite examples is when um, hard seltzer came out. Right. Now it was only like two winters prior where hard soda was the biggest bad. Yeah. Yep. Right. Not your father's root beer, all those brands, sugar, 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 yep. sugar. It was a fad. It was nostalgia that we all, you know, everything, every movie we see is now a remake of something. Like nostalgia is really key, especially in the Devin, that's just because we're old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. so, <laughs> we want to we want to see the things from our childhood again <laughs> so you have these like nostalgic drinks that came out and they they, they were they were huge hit and then they fly they, they they crashed right and every alcoholic brand was trying to run and do another do one of those and but and then they, they just all busted it just wasn't going to last yeah hard seltzer comes out another is it a fad or is it a trend you see the sales curve go up and then it comes down after the summer so do we go or do we not go but by using consumer analytics, you can understand that what was driving that, what was co-occurring in the conversation, you would never see this in sales, you'd never see it in a panel, but understanding that that aligned with ketogenic diets, 
And if you look at the ketogenic diet trend in social communication, it was up and to the right, just constant, constant, constant. So what we knew was hard seltzer was seasonal trend, mm-hmm. not fad. Not a fad. And we knew as long as it was attached to that curve, come summer again, you were going to see, and because we also see the, the consumer retention. Does the same consumer, even though the volume's down, is it still the same consumer just not consuming as much? Yes. Right. Right. So you can put these data points together that you could just never do before and get really behind the meat of what was happening in those sales. And so what's happening actually is obviously there's a human aspect to the consumer analytics in in terms of like you're analyzing human behavior, but this is largely no longer scraping data and or having a focus group, but this is like putting it in building smart AI that can analyze massive data sets right? And then spit out some conclusions and then have a human, a little bit of a human touch to say like, is this accurate? Does this feel right? Absolutely. We call it human in the loop. You absolutely have a human in the loop. And, you know, as I talk to investors, I talk to other brands, everyone's, you know, pushing for AI, hundred percent AI. And that's the goal is to get there, but it's like utopia. It's not like we're going to see that. Like, I don't believe we're going to see no humans in things for many, many years. Yeah. Right. You utopia for investors. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure if it's a utopia for humans. True. But. Agreed. Agreed. Like people want to know that things are being touched by a human and we pride yeah. ourselves on having that human touch on every decision that's made when we do our mappings and our analytics, there's always some, some human touch to make sure that, because, you, know, you know, it's, it, there, things change so rapidly. Like I, I love the, I like the example of baking. People baking, everyone thinks baking, baking, and, you know, baking in the, in the kitchen, but then people start talking about baking as baking foundation onto their skin. Like oh, wow. these words change so quickly and you need that human in there to, you know, the machine can alert you to it, but the yeah. human has to still make that touch and make sure we're getting it right. It, it cracks me up actually. A couple of weeks ago, I had the president of Oxford languages uh, who publishes the Oxford dictionary yeah. on talking about the future of language. And we talked about human in the loop as well, because talking about AI processing exactly this, how language gets utilized, right? And, and, and how it comes to the fore. So as we're thinking about kind of wrapping up, I want to, I want to tackle the future, right? Yeah. So the sure. future of consumer analytics, I mean, a couple of pop questions, right? Like pop, okay. popcorn style questions, not yeah. pop, like trend fad questions. <laughs> um, what changes do you see coming in consumer analytics? You know, I think all marketers are going to become data geeks. Mm -hmm. That's what I think. They have to. It's marketing is, I believe marketing is a science, not an art. There is an artistic aspect to, you know, when you find, when you put the final touch and, you know, the actual advert that goes out or the packaging, there is art there. But as far as understanding what consumers want, and, you know, maybe I'm biased because I'm a geeky engineer, but there's a science to it and to really get in front of the consumer and be ahead of the curve, you're going to have to really embrace true analytics, just like the finance people do. I yeah. really think this, it's the same type of tools to really understand and, and get in front and be the best marketer possible, which brings the best products to the consumer. So I'm not just talking about the marketers and their jobs and the companies. Good data will be, bring better products to consumers. And I think it's going to become more of a one-to-one fit. Mm-hmm. Not exactly, not, you know, it's not going to be Lisa wants this, but we're going to see your life cycle of, you know, what you're purchasing, what you're saying, what you're consuming in the public domain, mm-hmm. but then give you what you want in that moment when you probably most li- likely want it. And that's just the cool, to me, it's like the coolest way of advertising and communicating and selling and purchasing. Do you think to that answer, to that answer and that end, do you think that this one-to-one or close to one-to-one yeah. 
leans towards the younger generation who are more like public in their social media consumption and and more sharing because the panels are largely older, right? Yeah. I mean, you have a mix, but like historically yeah. household data is older and this is skewing younger. How, how do we in the future kind of balance, you know, the, the demographics? It's a great question. I'd say that, you know, the, the generations aren't getting any younger, I mean, like how do I say this? They, they move, they're, they're progressing forward, right? So when we talk about the future, the younger demographic now is going to be the older demographic and this is part of their lives now, right? So that's yes. why it's so important to like, everyone wants to focus on that, that younger demographic, but it's not just them, right? Because yeah, maybe social is more prevalent there, but when you start benchmarking and indexing and normalizing for the data you are getting from, the, from an older generation, trust me, it's bigger than any panel that Nielsen or Numerator have holistically. Yeah. When you talk about just how much data we can have in 55 plus. So there's plenty of data to get the consumer what they want. And I think as, as they go through their respective um, life cycles of purchase, purchase cycles. So what are some of the, um, I'd like to, I'd like to just do a two part final question. Okay. What are the top three opportunities you see for consumer analytics in the future? And what are the top risks? Ooh. Let me start with the risk. I think the risks are going to be, and I don't know if we get pulled three off the top of my head, but like the yeah, big, yeah. one of the biggest risks. Rough number. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be, I think the biggest risks in general are the privacy concerns in general and making sure that, and it, I think it's, they're almost artificial too. I think there's just this artificial kind of, we, we, we we're so overly protective of privacy without even knowing what is what, what we're affecting and what people are doing. So it's like, is everything public? Should that all be private? No one be able to see that. It's my data. Like, I think we're going to get to this world of like, consumers want their data to be seen. And how do we connect? How do we make sure that that, that just gels well for, for all sides? And, you know, we're, we watch this very closely and really pride ourselves on not showing personal information ever and anonymizing. But I do, you know, it's something that, that's consistently... Um, that we consistently see. And then the other risk is, you know, companies not transforming fast enough. I, I really think they have to transform. This is kind of going a tight tie what they need to do, right? Yeah. I think they, they have to really get data driven. And everyone on that on those marketing teams needs to start, be, you know, really becoming data users and trusting and learning how to read data and interact with data, not be scared of it, mm -hmm. which is another risk. And we've seen you know, even with our data, we've become the kind of the wolf in sheep's clothing in, in some companies that are really trying to transform digitally and because they want to see who's going to adopt and who's not. And I think right. it's going to be a, it's going to be a hard transformation for a lot of companies to come, you know, in, into this and out at the other end, but they're going to definitely become better for it. And also to attract talent that has that skill set. I mean, that's a whole different conversation. I mean, yeah. I mean, are we are we teaching and especially in the US and, and other Western countries, are we teaching, you know, students how to be analytical enough? Do they have the skill sets? Um, you know, we, that's yeah. a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't be scared by data. Don't be scared to learn something new. And it's, it's, it's gonna, it's, it's the future. It says, it says, it says the, says the musician and drummer. Yes. yes. Um, and what do you think is the biggest opportunity? Oh, the biggest opportunity is to, is, is tie these things together. Right? How do you just? It's not just one data source wins, and I would never say that only you need all you need is social standards. Right? It's marrying the data together and understanding how you can take the panels and the sales data and tie that to the how and the why people are doing what they're doing to better connect with the consumer. Because I think the opportunity at the end of the day is to give your consumer what they want when they want it. 
Um, Devin, that's a fantastic closing. Um, thank you so much for speaking with us today about the future of consumer analytics. Uh, there's lots to unpack. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Um, and for everyone watching or listening uh, to Future of XYZ, if you don't already subscribe, make sure you do. Uh, you can go to future-of.xyz to link to all of our platforms, but we're found as a podcast on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and more. You can also watch on YouTube. Uh, we thank you and uh, look forward to uh, our next conversation. Uh, Devin Bergman, co-founder and CEO of Social Standards. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to The Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.